This is Yudaha Kohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine, and you're listening to the Next Stage Podcast. Uh, joining me on the program right now is Arya Shapiro, uh, one of our young visionaries. Arya, welcome to the show. You bet. And uh, this week, the State of Israel swore in its new government, the quote-unquote change government of Yair Lapid and Naftali Bennett. And now, as far as I see, I don't have any expectations for this government being any different than previous governments when it comes to Palestinian issues. I mean, it might uh, be pushed by the United States into moving towards a two-state solution or giving more lip service to the two-state paradigm, which I think would be a regression. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know if that really solves anybody's issues on the ground. Right. I think it's likely that uh, Mansour Abbas of the, the RAM, the, the United Arab List, uh, may get a couple band-aid concessions to nominally improve the, the basic economic status and public funding for the Palestinian sector. But uh, any kind of lasting long-term changes in the status quo regarding Palestinians are not going to come from this government. Right. And, uh, but I am concerned uh, about several things I hear from this new government and some of its ministers. For example, Avigdor Lieberman of the Israel Beiteno party has been given the finance ministry. And he's already speaking about throwing everybody off of unemployment to get everyone back to work. That seems to jive with Bennett's overall trickle-down Reaganomics approach to the economy. You know, he campaigned on Reaganomics and basically bringing his, his Singapore plan to Israel I think that could be disastrous for the country's poor. Yeah, and even the traditionally socialist-inclined Labour Party and uh, the Merit Party, who in their roots were dedicated to the common worker, have kind of rolled over and agreed to join this government with those economic plans uh, in exchange to get some, some social concessions. Especially to the status of Jewish identity of the country. Yeah. Right. I have no confidence whatsoever in the labor or merits parties to protect the working poor of the state of Israel. And instead, I think they're going to be pushing a westernization agenda. Um, whatever that looks like remains to be seen. Uh, but we see even voices like Matan Kahana from the Taliban Timina party already talking about revisiting the status quo on issues that pertain to the Jewish character of the state. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's unsurprising that all of the members of the coalition, except for Ram, were elected by uh, the upper classes of Israeli society, especially labor and merits. Again, the, the nominally workers' parties, the labor party, are consistently elected by some of the richest Israelis in the richest areas. And that kind of economic class and also closeness to Western interests, to Western culture, especially in Gushdan, the Tel Aviv area, um, have led them to a very Western perspective of the separation of church and state, which I think is the, the driving force behind this proposed policy. Right. Uh, Devar actually did a study uh, after the election breaking down uh, voting patterns by class, and it was discovered that the wealthiest sliver of Israeli society votes for the Kocholavan party and the Yeshatid party, that's Benny Gantz and Yair Lapid. And then the second wealthiest liver votes for labor and merits, as you said. And of the national religious sector, it's really the wealthiest who vote for Naftali Bennett. So ultimately, we're looking at a government that's going to be run according to the interests of Israel's ruling class. 
Absolutely. And I think especially in the wake of the pandemic that's devastated the Israeli economy, uh, while allowing and providing for the high-tech sector and the wealthy to uh, not just survive, but actually benefit economically from the crisis, um, I think this is a really, really dangerous direction to be taking the state. Right. And I'll be honest, I suddenly feel an appreciation for outgoing Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, that I've never really felt before. You know, I've never voted for the guy. Um, I have many disagreements with him on, you know, several fronts. But it's clear to me that he really is a leader who sees himself as responsible for the Jewish people and for Jewish history. I think that he protected the state of Israel for 12 years in ways that most of us aren't even aware of. I don't even mean from Iran, I mean from the United States. I mean, Netanyahu was able to protect us from four years of Trump and eight years of Obama, um, not in the way that uh, former Prime Minister Yitzhak Shamir would have, not by standing up to the Americans and just saying no. That was never Netanyahu's style. I think Netanyahu learned how to very effectively slither through American fingers tell them one thing and do another, which is not ideal. It's sometimes very ugly and maybe even a little embarrassing, but nevertheless, he did what he could um, and what fit his personality and the possibilities he saw before him to really protect us from you know, imperialist agendas in the region. Well, and I think uh, the differences between uh, Obama and Trump in that regard are really interesting. With Obama, you're right, it looked kind of slimy and dirty. Uh, and Obama was really frustrated by it. But uh, with Trump, who in a lot of ways was on one side more of a bully in his general foreign policy, uh, and on the other was happily appeased by big grand gestures, promising a lot and doing a little the way Netanyahu did, I think played perfectly against Trump in a way that a Shamir approach may not have. Right. That might have been too confrontational a strategy. Uh, exactly. But at the same time, I think a lot of people don't realize the extent to which Trump had a hand in the political instability in this country. You know, a Victor Lieberman. Yeah. So Lieberman was very much an asset of Trump. I think Lieberman was very much Trump's guy on the ground, Trump's man in Knesset. It was Lieberman who destabilized Netanyahu's coalition when he was defense minister you know, four elections ago, uh, which led to the first in this series of four elections. And it was Lieberman who continuously prevented the establishment of a stable coalition uh, because Trump wanted a government that would be able to accept and carry through his two-state plan, the deal of the century. So, you know, he kept working through Lieberman to prevent the establishment of a nationalist government, a government that would have included voices that would have opposed many features of Trump's plan, uh, which ultimately led us to more and more elections until we finally got a unity government with Gantz, but without Lieberman. And uh, that wasn't really stable either. The fourth election then came and brought us to this situation. And I'm honestly not sure that the current situation is better than a fifth election. In fact, I'm not not sure. I'm sure I prefer a fifth election right now to the government we currently have. Especially with uh, the government being really composed of no ideological common ground or party line, aside from each getting a little bit of their own share in one of their interest areas. I'm skeptical that it's gonna last long questions just what's going to be the k 
catalyst for its collapse. Well, I'm not that optimistic about its collapse, only because if you look at polls, at least right now, the polls show that pretty much all of the parties in this coalition, with the exception of Yair Lapid's Yeshatid faction, are down in the polls drastically, to the point that it doesn't even look like you know, the fake Prime Minister Naftali Bennett would even be able to get into Knesset right now. The real Prime Minister is Yair Lapid, and Yair Lapid is the only one up in the polls, uh, last I saw, and that means no one has an interest in going to elections. No one in this coalition has an interest in going to elections because all the parties, aside from Yeshatid, would really be unsure whether or not they'd be coming back or certainly not coming back in their current strength. Whereas Yair Lapid, who would come back even stronger, um, he happens to be running the show right now, meaning he's in charge. This is his government. He doesn't want to give that up. And this is really his only shot at forming a government, because according to, you know, just the makeup of Israeli society as it exists right now, just like socioculturally, it's unlikely that a guy like Yair Lapid would ever be able to be prime minister outside of this kind of maneuver that he's managed to accomplish here. Uh, I think, though, the one thing that might change that arithmetic is if there's an issue that a given party decided uh, leaving on would bolster their support uh, enough to make it worth it. I think, for example, if a Ram had to either roll over and let major changes in the traditional values in Israel, uh, which would play very, very poorly with their constituents, especially if the, the economic progress that he requested isn't going forward, I think specifically leaving the government on those grounds could, could bolster him in the polls. Probably similar things if handouts to the Arab sector and legalizing settlements in the South are going to present big challenges to Saar and to Lieberman. It's possible that their voters would see breaking up the government on those grounds as a good enough reason to bolster them in the polls. Uh, regarding Abbas, I think there might be hope, but my concern when it comes to a guy like Saar is that he might just be planning to merge into Yeshatid, uh, as Bennett might be as well, because I don't see at this point Bennett getting back into Knesset. Uh, on his own merit, no. On his own merit, no. I mean, look, if he shows himself to be a spectacular prime minister, as we've said before, just being in the role of prime minister causes the public... Legitimizes him, yeah. Right. And the media has been extremely kind to Bennett and to Lapid, meaning the media has been pushing this. The media is clearly anti-Netanyahu, has been anti-Netanyahu, and I'm sure Bennett enjoys the sudden positive press and the coddling that he's been receiving. Absolutely. I think it's possible that if Bennett does even anything less than a terrible job, uh, we could see uh, Sars New Hope joining Yamina. Um, with or without Yeshatid, but as a um, alternative to Likud. Right. So I think that right now the national interest is for this government to fall as soon as possible, because we don't for want sure. there to be time for Bennett to look good in this job. You know, we want people to remember what Bennett is doing right now. We don't want them to forget and see several accomplishments between here and the the next election. We want elections as soon as possible. And I'm sure that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and uh, the leaders of the Shas party, they're much more seasoned political operatives than we are. Uh, I'm hoping uh, that they are busy 
planning ways to bring down this government as soon as possible so that we can actually have a government that represents the people because this government is really a government of the rich, a government of the wealthy, a government of the ruling class and a government of foreign interests, meaning this is a government that is going to be, we can see already that it's pushing for the, the further westernization of Israeli society and the gutting of Israel's social safety net assistance programs to Israel's weaker sectors, which is actually the majority of the country. And I think at the end of the day, we also have to look at the national camp where where the blame lies for their inability to form a coalition. On the one hand, Netanyahu has been an incredibly successful prime minister, especially through the corona pandemic. Uh, but it's very possible that had he stepped down to a potential successor in the Likud party, that Saar or Bennett would have joined the government and, and given them the easy 61 or more seat majority that they needed to form a, a government of the national camp. Uh, and also we have to look at uh, Smotrich. Hold on, but before we get to Smotrich, yeah. regarding what you just said. Okay, so until recently, maybe until Sunday, I, I really did share your perspective that maybe Netanyahu should have stepped down and let another leader of Likud come in and form a nationalist coalition. But after hearing his speech on Sunday, uh, I have to admit that I'm really not sure that there is another leader that could lead the state of Israel the way Netanyahu has been leading it. You know, most of what Netanyahu does for the Jewish people, we don't see. You know, most of this has been, especially in terms of confrontations with the United States and, you know, whatever is going on with Iran. Whatever is happening with Iran is way above my pay grade. Like, I have no idea, you know, what's going on in terms of our conflict with Iran. But when it comes to, you know, when it comes to really protecting the Jewish people and Jewish interests in the state of Israel. I don't know if there is a leader on the horizon, and this could be Netanyahu's fault for preventing such a leader from being able to rise up, but I'm not really sure there is a leader or would have been a leader who was able to do this. You know, more and more, I'm starting to look at Netanyahu as a leader in the tradition of Menachem Begin and, and Yitzhak Shamir, which is, you know, imperfect. It's still not the ideal, and there are a lot of issues I'd like to see Netanyahu changes positions on, uh, especially when it comes to Palestinian issues and socioeconomic issues as well. And I'm obviously turned off by the Western conservative framing that Netanyahu, you know, always employs. Uh, but I actually am starting to believe that that Western conservatism is deeper with guys like Bennett and Saar, or at least with Bennett, guys like Bennett, than with Netanyahu, because I think deep down, Netanyahu really is a Jewish nationalist. And I think that his conservatism is not, not completely external to him, but I think more external to him, or, or at least less prominent in his worldview than his Jewish nationalism. Whereas with somebody like Naftali Bennett, I actually think he's much more of a westernized conservative, and that is more primary to his identity and worldview than his Jewish national consciousness. Absolutely, and I guess the question lies if you think the, the Lapid model works. If there's a, a world where Bibi could have been given a cushy ministry, uh, foreign ministry likely, uh, and had the prime minister, a fake prime minister, like you said, had his ear, and let someone else be the face to appease Tsar and Bennett. Um, but at the end of the day, Bibi would be calling the shots and running things from the back chair. Maybe. I mean, that would have been an interesting play. I would have been okay with that. 
But here we are with Likud back in the opposition. Netanyahu tends to be impressive from the opposition, I'll be honest. Netanyahu in the past has been impressive in the opposition. I have no doubt that he plans to bring his A-game and make a serious political comeback. For sure. Um, I think, you know, keep in mind... That- I mean, most of this country, though, hasn't doesn't remember Netanyahu in the opposition. At least my generation has, has never been politically aware mm-hmm. with Netanyahu in the opposition. So it'll definitely be interesting uh, for my generation, at least, to see that in action. It should be a good show. You know, Bezrat Hashem, it'll be a good show. And keep in mind that Netanyahu and the Haredi lawmakers are really the best athletes in our political system. If politics were a sport, they would really be the star athletes. So I'm looking forward to a good show, uh, but I want them to be successful in tearing down this Lapid Bennett government before it's too late, because this government, this current government, is completely out of touch with the average Israeli, uh, despite the media constantly trying to build them up and tear down Netanyahu and tear down the Haredim, I think that the Netanyahu governments have been much more governments representing the people of Israel and reflecting the will of the people than this current government, which is really only representing and expressing the will of our wealthiest sector. Absolutely. And I think going back to the political athletes, I think that's where the the key lies in Abbas. He's also proved uh, just in this last election cycle, his chops, his willingness to, to make the compromises and, and play the plays to get into the government for his constituency. And if Bibi and the Haredim can show him that ultimately their interest lies not in the current government, but even potentially supporting a national government from the outside, like Netanyahu proposed uh, while trying to form a government this cycle, that could could very easily be the, the linchpin to bringing down this government. Right. And as you've said, and as I've said, this all could have been prevented had a uh, member of Knesset, Betelos Smotrich, behaved differently. Meaning we witnessed an extremely narrow, dogmatic, principled refusal to even sit with Mansour Abbas and the Ram party and talk about forming a coalition together. And had that happened, had Betelos Smotrich been willing to sit with Abbas and actually and it wouldn't have been a concession, meaning people argue that Smotrich can't do that. His, his voters would go crazy. The Palestinians are the enemy. How can you sit together? You know, Smotrich could have shown leadership, stood up and said, it's about time that we, the Jews, most deeply connected to our identities, to our homeland, to our Torah, change the relationship between us and the Palestinians. For too many years, Israel's most disconnected westernized sectors have monopolized our relationship with the Palestinians. And now it's time for those Jews actually connected to our identities and to our national story to create a different kind of relationship, perhaps a better relationship with the Palestinians here. And had Smotrich done that and said it in those words, I think his voters would have been okay with it. And I think we would have had a government that included Likud, Shas, UTJ, the religious Zionism, uh, Ram, and perhaps also Bennett's Yamina party, but not with the amount of power they have. Not as the prime minister, for sure. <laughs> not as puppets of Lapid. No. You know, as, as many have said, there's a problem with uh, people trying to usurp roles that aren't appropriate for them. The leader of a faction of six members of Knesset shouldn't try to pretend he's prime minister. And when we see him in the role of prime minister, we know it's fake. We know he's really being puppeted by somebody else. But I think the the focus here with Smotrich 
I think this is like a, a deep issue that we need to address in the national religious camp, uh, especially among those who are really trying to advance Jewish liberation and trying to advance the redemption process. There needs to be a reassessment constantly. You know, any revolutionary movement that consists of various phases and stages requires constant reassessment. You know, the realities of the last stage might not be the realities of this stage, meaning, you know, the Zionist stage functioned a certain way and achieved what it achieved, created certain conditions. Now we're in a different reality. It could be that once upon a time, there might have been a place for a principled refusal to sit with the Palestinian party. I don't think that's a reality today. In fact, I would argue that a major objective of Jewish liberation in this chapter of our story is reconciling with the Palestinians and finding a healthier relationship dynamic so that we can actually be partners in building this country uh, and find the like right relationship and the right place for everybody here. Um, that's something that Smotrich could have taken the lead on instead of adhering to this outdated dogma of no, they're the enemy, we can't sit with them, even though Mansour Abbas took every step possible to come towards us and to actually show that he's ready to engage the other Jews, the Jews that the Palestinians have not yet engaged. Uh, in fact, even last week when he was interviewed uh, about joining this government, he said, yeah, I'm joining this government, but I would have preferred the other government. You know, he, he would have preferred to sit with Likud and Smotrich and, and the Haredim. Uh, but he's willing, you know, if, if Lapid and Bennett will offer him something, he'll go with them. Right. No, I think at the end of the day, it comes to uh, our perceptions of ourself in the Palestinians' eyes, the way we think they see us. Mm. Uh, and before 1967, when there were serious existential threats to Israeli security, it was it made sense to operate out of suspicion and fear. Uh, but since since our victory in the Six Day War, uh, especially in the decades since, we've been operating from a place of strength. But the way we act and the way they see us, we keep acting as if we're still under serious threat, as if we're scared. Uh, we're scared. What if the Arabs have four seats in a government? What if the Arabs are the ones on Harabait? What if we don't march through the old city with our flags to show them we're in charge? And at the end of the day, the Palestinians see us as acting out of fear. Or acting like colonizers, because I, I think a major difference between how Israelis and Palestinians are experiencing this conflict is that Israelis experience it as an almost horizontal ethnic conflict that we're still fighting, we're still engaged in, we still have to protect ourselves from the enemy, etc. Whereas I think most Palestinians experience this as a conflict that the Israelis won a long time ago, yet insisted on being oppressive. You know, like even though we won right. a long time ago, we're still gonna oppress them. We're still gonna show them we're, who's boss each time and insult them each time. Now that doesn't mean we should advocate for making ourselves vulnerable. I don't want any listeners to make the no. mistake of assuming that we're saying that Israel should make ourselves vulnerable, but we have to recognize the power we have and we should recognize that between us and the Palestinians, the power dynamics favor us to the point where we really can change reality. We obviously have the first responsibility as those, as the more powerful party, as the victor, so to speak. We have the first responsibility to building trust, but ultimately the power allows us to determine where this is going to go. And I think it really behooves us 
to try and take things down a road that will be genuinely good for the Palestinians, good for us, like allow us to achieve the aspirations of our ancestors, the dreams of our prophets and sages, what we say in the Shmona Esrei three times a day, that's what we should see materializing here. And Palestinians should experience themselves as fully included, fully equal citizens of a democratic society. Right, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to acting from a recognition of our strength and uh, the bracha of that strength, the uh, manifestation of prophetic visions uh, that, that exist in that strength and not operating as if any minute it'll fall apart. Right, and the irony is that only Smotrich and the members of Knesset in his faction, you know, that combination of three parties there, only they are really capable of having that kind of relationship with the Palestinians. Meaning, I really saw a coalition that included Smotrich's party and Abbas's party as an opportunity to kind of reimagine and recreate the relationship dynamics between Jews and Palestinians in this country, uh, at least as a first step, at least as a, a step towards. Uh, whereas I don't trust Bennett or Lapid, or certainly not uh, Horowitz or Michaeli or Lieberman or Gantz, to be able to manage a positive relationship. I think they really do think like Westerners, they really do think like colonizers, mm -hmm. and they'll be willing to kind of throw whatever crumbs to a bus to keep him happy and quiet, but there's no real move, there's no real impulse towards advancing the redemption process or furthering you know, the struggle for Jewish liberation in partnership with Palestinians. That's not, they're not even thinking, no. they're, they're too busy thinking about how they're going to westernize the country and, uh, you know, help the richest Israelis with tax cuts and, uh, you know, and look the oh, other way. It comes down to appeasing the small Palestinian minority in the country and getting rid of as many of them as we can in a two-state solution. Right. I mean, I don't see Bennett really moving towards a two-state solution. I think that would be a, a complete betrayal, like a complete betrayal of everything that he stood for until now, if he really adopts a two-state solution as like his solution that he's going to pursue. But I'm concerned that he doesn't know how to stand up to the Americans. In fact, I don't even think Bennett... The Americans and Lapid, because Bennett's not calling the shots at the end of the day. Right, but, I, but I'm not even sure Bennett really understands that there's a need to protect Israel from the United States. You know, a couple of years ago, a few of us uh, met with uh, Ayala Chakid, and mm -hmm. we kept bringing up this issue of weaning Israel off of American money, like not taking American mm -hmm. money, not taking American weapons, and, you know, not being subservient, not being a slave. And Chakid couldn't understand what we were talking about, couldn't understand. She's just like, but they're offering the money, let's take it. Like they're offering the weapons, let's take it. She had no conception for how this works, for how, you know, neo-imperialism actually operates and how Israel has become a puppet of the United States and desperately needs to break free, especially now that it looks like the empire is sooner or later gonna crash. Right, and I think a lot of that comes from a, a feedback loop when the their perspective on American politics and American interest in Israel comes from APAC and Ben Shapiro and Pastor John Hagee, Christians United for Israel, it's inevitable that they're going to see America not as an empire on the verge of collapse, but as the pillar of democracy and Judeo-Christian values. Right. No, Israel needs to break free from the United States and we need to move towards real democracy. I consider participatory democracy to be real democracy. 
a system that actually empowers people to influence the structures they live under. Uh, and we need to, of course, protect- And to understand those structures. Right, and to understand those structures. And of course, to protect the Jewish character and the Jewish identity of the state, not in a way that's othering towards Palestinians, but actually in a way that's much deeper than the current uh, Jewish character, but at the same time softer. Meaning one of the things we see coming out of uh, actually Matan Kahana from the Yamina party is talking about, you know, revisiting the question of public transportation on Shabbat. Right. Until now, you know, there's no public transportation, you know, state transportation on Shabbat. And you have a lot of people in this country, especially the wealthier sectors of society, saying this isn't fair. This is coercion. We want to go to the beach. We want to go to the malls. You know, we need buses to take us. Why is it uh, no buses on Shabbat just because of a bunch of, uh, you know, Haredi members of Knesset or whatever? And the truth is that Shabbat has been for thousands of years a class issue, meaning an enslaved people left Egyptian society, went free, and one of the revolutions we brought to the world is the idea that once every seven days, a person deserves rest. And the media here and the politicians like to speak about all those Israelis who can't take a bus to the beach or go shopping in the mall on Saturday, but nobody's talking about the workers who will be forced to drive those buses or work in the mall the one day a week that their children are home from school. Right. So I think we need to we need to really think about Shabbat as a class issue. Uh, we definitely need to think about how we can participate in efforts to make this government fall so that either a new government, a government that actually represents the people of Israel, is established or we go to new elections, we go to a fifth election, but we should not accept this government. This is not a government that's good for the people of Israel. This is not a government that will be good for Palestinians. And this is a government that actually has the potential to do a lot of damage to the Jewish character of the state and the working core of this country. Right, so I guess just the next next question is, how do we talk to Smotrich and even to Ben Gvir and get them to a place where they would be willing to sit within outside ROM party if election results were the same or similar to how they came out in this last round, what would it take to make that coalition happen? Well, I think the first step might actually be sitting down with them and trying to explain our perspective on uh, on why of this principled opposition to sitting with Palestinians might not be helpful or why that's just not a helpful outlook to have this paradigm of like us versus the Palestinians is really not the reality of what's going on in this country. Meaning, obviously, the Jews and Palestinians in this country have been at war essentially for 101 years, I would say since 1920. Uh, but that conflict initially was orchestrated to serve British imperial interests in the region. And today it serves other outside agendas. And I think that we, you know, especially the Jews who actually represent Jewish history and live our national story so fully, you know, the Jews who Smotrich represents, the Jews who vote for Smotrich, you know, these are the Jews who I think can actually have a real, a healthy, productive relationship with the Palestinians, a much better relationship than our most disconnected, like westernized elites are able to create. I think we need to convince the national religious leadership of the value of engaging Palestinians in a positive way. And I think we need to show that the contradictions between our aspirations and theirs 
are much less than the contradictions between their aspirations and those of what we can call mainstream Zionism or Mashiach ben Yosef. I would say this current government is a government of all the Zionist parties minus Likud plus Ram. Like Zionism was a very successful Jewish liberation movement that achieved material liberation for the Jewish people, but we're past that stage now. Zionism ran its course. It was largely good for the Jews. It created uh, a mess for other people that we need to address. But now that we're in the stage of our revolution after Zionism, we need to really try to protect Zionism's positive achievements while cleaning up its mess and also encourage our leaders and ourselves to really analyze where we are in the process of our revolution. What are the goals of Jewish history? What's already been achieved? What's left to accomplish? What obstacles stand in the way? How we can move past those obstacles? This is a type of thinking we need to really foster within the sectors of Israeli society most committed to Jewish liberation and most fully living the aspirations of our people. Absolutely. All right. Well, Aryeh, thank you so much for coming on the show. You bet. And, uh, thank you. And Bezrat Hashem, we'll see this government fall soon and be replaced by a government that actually represents the will and the national interests of the Jewish people. Bezrat Hashem. All right. This is Yudaha Kohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine, and you've been listening to the Next Stage Podcast. If you haven't already, please go and subscribe to the Next Stage Podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and or Spotify. And please leave a positive rating and review because that can really help us spread these ideas to a much wider audience. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at visionmag.org and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And of course, if you're interested in supporting the show or sponsoring an episode, please contact us by heading over to visionmag.org and clicking contact on the menu bar up top. You can check out the show notes for this episode by going to visionmag.org backslash the next stage five five.